All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you calm down just for a second. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, and we get to start a new chapter today in Matthew. And I know that's, that's become a rarity here at, uh, at our church as we've been going through the book of Matthew, but we get to start this brand new chapter, and I look forward to it. Um, we, I've, I enjoy studying Matthew. I hope you guys have as, as well. Just week after week after week. It's not just that it's the book of Matthew, but it's the life of Christ. We get to see him. We get to see his miracles. We get to hear his teachings. Just to, to understand who Christ is and, and to put him to, before you every single Sunday is a, a, a blessing to me, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, we love Christ here. And today we get to ask a, a really good question. It's a very important question. And I, here's, the, here's what it's going to be. Is your Christian life, or you being a Christian, is it a burden or a blessing? So that's the title of the sermon. That's the question I want to set before you today, uh, this morning, throughout the sermon, at the start of the sermon, and throughout the sermon we're going to be asking that question. Is your Christian life a burden or a blessing? So let's stand together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. And we'll, we'll uh, look at this passage. The, the Pharisees here had made their religion a, a burden. And it's, it's common that we in Christianity can make our religion, our uh, Christianity, a burden as well. We don't want to do that. So let's read these verses. I want to read verses 1 through 14 as we study a burden or a blessing. Verse 1 it says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat? They eat the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is our one greater than the temple. But if he had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, he would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? And they did this that they might accuse him. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he said, saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. So let's pray, and then we'll look at a burden or a blessing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it does in our lives, that it is sufficient to uh, do all manner of good in our lives. And God, I pray that that would be the case here today, that through your word that you would uh, encourage us, that you would uh, even convict us of our sins so that we can be more like your son Christ. God, that you would use your word to accomplish what you've set it out to do. And I ask God that you would help me to present it well in a way that would honor you. And I ask for the hearers here today across this room that they would have ears to hear and hearts to receive what your word says today. God, teach us today. God, use your word to change us today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The question for us today, and, and I'm going to uh, set it before you, not just is it a burden or a blessing, but is it a, a, 
a have to or a want to. There's two things in life that are there's two uh, ways we can look at life and the things that we have to do. And you can have it either be a have to or you can have it be a want to. That's two categories in life. You've got to look at almost everything through that lens. Is it something I have to do or is it something that I, I want to do? And we all have have to's and we need to learn that. There's, I try to teach my kids there's things that you have to do. I had My kids ask me that all the time as they, I tell them to do something. That's the question that's over and over and over. Do I have to? And that's always the question that they're asking me. Do I have to? Do I have to? And it's funny, if I tell them to go and play PlayStation, they don't say, do I have to? They, they want to do that. And we have those two categories in life, the things that we have to do and the things that we want to do. I have to pay my bills. I, I don't want to do that, but I want, I, I want the electricity to stay on. So you have to pay your, your bills. I, I don't want to pay my taxes. I have to do that. I mean, it's one of the hardest things in the world to do is to, is to pay your taxes. I, there, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. I have to do that. Sometimes we have to go to the, to the dentist. I mean, I don't know anybody in here. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody in here just loves going to the dentist. You go and sit in the chair, and you sit there and look at the dentist and say, bring out the drill. I want that drill. I mean, I don't know anybody that does that. Nobody wants to go and have their teeth drilled on. Those are all have-tos. And then there's things that you want to do, and nobody's going to make you do it. Nobody looks at you and says, you have to go on vacation. <laughs> Nobody does that. I mean, you want to do that. You're not gritting your teeth and saying, oh, man, I've got to go to the beach today. You, you want to do that. Nobody looks at me and says, Josh, you have to drink this coffee. <laughs> no, I want that cup and the cup after it, too. I want coffee. I want nobody. I mean, as I'm getting older, I, I want to take more naps than I've ever wanted to take in my life. I get up in the morning. Sometimes the only thing that gets me through the day is knowing I can get a nap later on. I want to take a nap. So you look at those two categories. There's things that you have to do. There's things that you, you want to do. We all have those things. And I just gave you some of mine. Uh, you have your own that you, you have to do them and you want to do them. So the question that I'm going to set before you today is, what is your Christian life? The things that are involved in, in Christianity, is it something that you have to do or is it something that you want to do? Is it a burden to you or is it a blessing to you? Is it something that you look at in, in your Christian life, whether it's reading the Bible, going to the church, praying, giving, those sort of things in our Christian walk, is it something that you look at and say, oh, i got to do this today. Or is it something you look at and say, yes, I get to do this. I want to do this. Do you open up your Bibles in the morning and you say, yes, I get to read it. Do you walk, wake up in the morning and, and, and just like I do with my little girl Emma, as we get up on Sunday mornings, I go jump on the bed with her and I say, we get to go to church today. Is that, how do you look at your, your Christian life? Is it something that you have to do or is it something that you want to do? Because we have a tendency, and, and I think all religions, all people do this, that we have a tendency to take the things that God meant to be a blessing to us and we turn it into a burden. And that's exactly what these Pharisees did in this passage we're looking at today. They took the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day was meant to be, I'm going to have to teach you guys on the Sabbath. I had to teach myself this week on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was meant to be a blessing to people. And they had taken the Sabbath day and they turned it into a burden on people. The Sabbath day, well, let me just give you a little background, was established, created by God in creation. He, you guys know this. He created all things, everything that is created in the heavens and the earth. He did it in six days. I don't care what scientists tell you. I don't care what the teachers tell you. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what movies say. God created all things in six days. And on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but because he was done, he rested. 
took the day off and said, I'm going to sit and look at my creation and see how well done it, it, it is. And he rested. Sabbath day. That's what the Sabbath means is to cease from work. To stop. To be done. So he took that seventh day, which to us would be a Saturday, and he rested. And then in Exodus, when he gave the law, the, the, the fourth command is, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. On six days in, in the week you'll work. We'll work as hard as we can. But on that last day, everybody commanded to take a day off. Who has to command anybody to take a day off? That was a blessing to rest, to stop, to don't work, to sit back and to enjoy not only the, the labor of your hands that you've done for six days, but to enjoy the God who had given you all things. On that day, take it easy, rest, stop working, just, just relax and enjoy your God. That's the Sabbath. That's a blessing to, to the world. Take that day and enjoy God. Take a day off. Take a day and do nothing. If somebody come to you right now, your boss looked at you and said, take the day off. You wouldn't say, oh. You would be, yes. Kids that go to school, you get up in the morning and, and, and the first thing you do is, Wise County, is it, 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 are they going to let us have the day off? Are we going to get a snow schedule? And when it goes across the screen, it don't go across the screen anymore, does it? We used to have to get up and watch TV and watch it. W, Wise County, was the last name on the list. You're sitting there watching every school go by, waiting for Wise County. You guys don't have any idea what that's like. You're sitting there waiting and waiting, and then it doesn't show up. You've got to sit and wait again, you know, as every school goes by. Now you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got text, you've got phone call. Everybody knows already. But you sit and wait, and when it come across the screen, Wise County, closed. I never said, oh, man, I really wanted to go today. No, you said, oh, I get to rest today. So the Sabbath was a blessing. A day of rest, a day to enjoy God, a day, a day just to say, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. It was meant to be a blessing, not a burden. It was meant to be a delight, not drudgery. It was meant to be a feast, not a fast. But they had taken it and made it into a great burden. They created thousands of rules that everybody had to follow on the Sabbath. Guidelines, pages upon pages upon pages of guidelines. They actually had a book called the Talmud. And there was 29 chapters in that book on what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. I want to give you just a few of them. On a day that was meant to be a blessing, they turned it into a burden by giving a bunch of rules. Listen to some of these rules. You couldn't travel any further than 3,000 feet, about a half a mile. If you travel beyond 3,000 feet, you, it was considered work and you broke the Sabbath. You couldn't carry more than one dry fig. That's all you could have in your hands. Any, any more than a dry fig, and you was carrying a weight, and that was work, and you broke the Sabbath. You couldn't carry a jacket because that was too heavy, but you could put the jacket on. That wasn't considered carrying it. So in order to get your jacket from one room to the other, you had to put your jacket on and take it and wear it all the way across the room and then take it off. This is very strict rules that they had here. I got more. You couldn't carry a pen because you might write something down, and that would be work. You couldn't carry a book because you might read it and that would be work. You couldn't wear jewelry because that was too heavy. It was a burden. You, a, a woman couldn't look in the mirror. This is true because she might see a gray hair and pluck it out and that would be work. I'm, I'm not joking. This is in the Talmud. You couldn't throw something in the air and catch it with the other hand. That was work. You could throw it in the air and catch it with the same hand, but if you threw it in the air and caught it with the other hand, that's work, and you broke the Sabbath. You couldn't kill an insect. You couldn't swat a fly. 
You could, there was no sowing, no plowing, no reaping, no threshing, no sifting, no, I'm, I'm going to get, catch my breath here. Uh, There's no tying a knot, lighting a fire, or putting out a fire. And on and on and on. I could give you even more if you had time. Just on and on and on. 29 chapters in the Talmud on what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. So what they've done here is they've taken something God meant to be a blessing where they just rest and say, I'm enjoying God. And they turned it into a burden. They no longer enjoyed that day. That day was a, bo- a burden. That day was a, was a chore. They dreaded that day. That day was a pain in the neck. I've got to be very, very careful about everything I do on the Sabbath or I'm going to get in trouble. They had taken what God had meant to be a blessing and they turned it into a, a burden. And that's what Jesus is walking into here in this passage. That's what we face because we're just like them. We turn what God means to be a blessing and we turn it into a burden. So I'm going to ask that question as we work our way through this passage. Is our Christianity a blessing or a burden? So let's look at it. I'm going to give you three points as I work my way through 14 verses. I want to show you, first of all, the confrontation on the Sabbath. There's a confrontation here. You've got the Pharisees and you've got Jesus and his disciples. And it's one of many confrontations that they have. The Pharisees are always out for a fight with Jesus. And here's just one of many. And they're going to go head to head here. Let's look at what happens. Verse 1. At that time... Jesus went on the Sabbath day. You see there, there's that day. And I want you to picture this in your mind. Him and his disciples are out on the Sabbath day. They're walking through the corn. It's just a beautiful day to enjoy. There's nobody mad at them. There's no fighting. There's no problems. All is quiet. It's a beautiful spring day. You say, Josh, how do you know it's spring? Well, the corn is ready to go. It's a spring day. So they're walking and, and, and they're going to the synagogue. They're going to go what we would consider church. So they're on their way to the synagogue because on that day you go to the synagogue. Like on our Lord's Day, we go to church. So they would go to the synagogue and they wasn't walking on the main road. They took a, a shortcut because now they're walking through the fields. And as they're walking through the fields, it says that they, they get hungry. We have gas stations. We have fast food. They had cornfields. My kids are all the time as we're driving down the road, Dad, I'm hungry. There's a McDonald's. <laughs> There's something about the McDonald's sign that makes your kids hungry. But as they're walking down the, on their way to synagogue, they need a snack. And they, they reach up, and he says there, they reach up, and they pluck the ears of corn, and they start to eat. It's just a snack. And there's nothing wrong with this. Deuteronomy 23 actually says this was allowed. That if you're walking on a long journey and you're walking through a field, whether it be wheat or whether it be corn, you can just reach up and you can take it. And you can, they would take that corn and they would uh, get all the corn off and they'd put it in their hand. They'd blow all everything else off and they'd eat the corn as a snack. Or the same thing with, with the wheat. And Deuteronomy 23 says that's okay, do that. That's no big deal. Until, watch what happens. These Pharisees show up hyper-religious, legalistic, police officers of the law. It's like they're walking around with a rule book and a notebook, and they're sitting there ready to write down anything anybody does wrong. And they're sitting there, and they're following Jesus and his disciples around. They're hiding somewhere in the field. You, know, you can imagine them back there in the corn stalks, and they're just watching Jesus, waiting for Jesus and his disciples to do something wrong. You guys know the type of people that do that? They're just waiting on you to do something wrong. They're, they're following you around. They're, they're, they're stalking you on Facebook. They're doing everything they can. They watch every single little move you make and every word you say. And they're just waiting to jump out at you and say, Aha! Caught you! There's, there's people out there that are like that. 
I have people like that who listen to every word of my sermon, and they're just sitting there waiting for me to say a word wrong. Ha ha, got him, he's a heretic. <laughs> I mean, there's people like that. Maybe somebody's sitting here right now saying that, oh, now he's done. They're just waiting on Jesus to mess up, looking for a mistake. They're eavesdropping, they're, they're surveilling. They're busybodies that have way too much time on their hands. And they catch him. Or they catch the disciples. Verse 2, when the Pharisees saw it, they saw them get corn and take it and, and eat it. And they jump out and say, we've got you red-handed. And it says there, behold, you guys know that word. Aha! <laughs> gotcha! And I'm sure Jesus and the was like, where'd you come from? You know, they're just jumping out at them. And at this moment, when they say, behold, they've taken what was a beautiful, blessed Sabbath day, and they turn it into a burden. You say, what did the disciples do wrong? It says in verse 2, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. You've broken the law. I can hear their whining. <laughs> you did wrong. You know, I don't want to whine like they would whine, but it's just, a, I, I know those voices. I know how it works. They're, they're whining. They're saying, you, you broke the law. Which law was it? They broke the Sabbath. They'd reaped, they'd threshed, they'd winnowed, and they'd prepared food. You couldn't, to them, you couldn't do that on the Sabbath day. God didn't say that. Man said that. Do you know, you know anybody like that? I know all kinds of people like that. I've seen it my whole life. People that impose man-made rules on everybody else. I've got my rules and I want you to follow them. It's not Bible. The Bible has rules and things that we must do and, and things that we shouldn't do. And I love the rules of God. I'm like the psalmist of Psalm 119. I love thy law. I love that, but I don't love other men's laws. I don't love what everybody else puts on everybody else. That you can't do this and you must do that. And you say, where is that written here? Give me a rule book and, and show me where this is at. And that's who they are. They have rules that they expect everybody else to follow. They make big deals out of things that God doesn't make a big deal out of. They major on the minors and they minor on the majors. These people that strain a gnat and swallow a camel... They'll shoot mosquitoes with a bazooka. Waiting to catch somebody doing something that they think is wrong. They love to find rule breakers. I heard a preacher say, you'd never want to go hunting with somebody like this because they shoot at everything. And before the day's over with, they'll shoot at you. There's people like that all over. I've seen it. I'm going to give you some application. You say, Josh, this is going to get you in trouble. You better believe it's going to get me in trouble. I've experienced it on me as a preacher. Somewhere, someone, somebody has a rule book on preachers that I ain't ever seen. The way you're supposed to look, the way you're supposed to dress, the way you're supposed to act, the way you're supposed to, your kids are supposed to behave in church. And they just keep on bringing me these rules and say, Josh, you should have done this, and Josh, you should have done that, and Josh, you should have done this, and Josh, you should have done that. I need that rule book. Because it's not right here. I've had people tell me how my hair should look, how long my beard should be. I've had people tell me all kinds of things. I've had people tell me you dress up too much. I've had people tell me you dress down. You don't dress like a preacher. I've had people tell me all kinds of things about my, again, about my kids, about my wife. I had somebody walk up to me one time and say, I saw your wife driving. And you were in the passenger seat. I said, well, you don't want me napping while I'm driving. <laughs> I mean, that's not safe. I'm not kidding. I mean, that, 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 that has been said to me. 
I've had people bring out rulers and check the hair around your ears and on your neck. Where's this rule book at? I want a copy. So I'll know how to please you. And maybe I don't know if I'm talking to some of you. Maybe some of you have been checking my hair out and checking my beard out, you know. I don't know. Watching my kids as they go through, oh, preacher kids shouldn't be like that. (laughs) Where's that rule book? Where's it at? I mean, there's people like that, and it's not just on preachers. It's in the church everywhere. I think church should be this way, and I think church should be that way. And if it's not that way, the way I want it to be, then I'm mad, and I'm jumping on somebody, and I'm leaving. (laughs) There's other churches out here, (laughs) and you can take your rules to them. Josh, you can get in trouble. Yeah, I've had people come and tell me, Josh, there's no, you can't have coffee in church. I want people to stay awake, don't I? <laughs> Show me that rule book. And it's not just in church, and it's not just on preachers and their kids. We do that to each other. We tell Christians, it's not Christian for you to watch that. It, it's not Christian for you to go there. It's not Christian for you to wear that. It's not Christian for this. It's not Christian for that. I've had people, you can't fix your hair like this. And, and all kinds of things. And my question becomes, where's that rule book? You have created some rules and you're trying to put them off on me and on a church and on other Christians that God never intended for us to follow. And these people... These types of people are big on rules and real little on Christ. And they make Christianity a burden and not a blessing. They make Christianity a whole lot harder than what it should be. And that's what they're doing here. And how does Jesus respond to it? I think Jesus responds to it the same way that we need to respond to it. Because here we go from the the confrontation that he has on the Sabbath to his correction on the Sabbath. And this is our correction. This is how we correct those types of things. Watch what he says here. I love how he handles it. Because what he says is the same thing that we ought to say when the people bring that to us. He says, show me in the scriptures. Look what it says in verse 3. But he said unto them, have ye not read... Look what he says in verse 5. Or have ye not read? Over and over and over he takes them to the scriptures. And this is the key. Haven't you read what's in the Bible? Show me in the Bible where this is wrong. Show me here. Let me see. In, in the Bible, Jesus always had scripture on the tip of his tongue ready to use. It's not there. Look what he says. I love this. He looks at them and says, have you not read? And he's, he's saying that to people who had read it. These guys were experts on it. These guys were know-it-alls. It's almost a sarcastic remark of, I thought you would know this. I try to think of an illustration to help me to say, to explain the have you not read. Jesus asking experts on the Bible and the law, have you not read? These guys counted every word of the Old Testament. These guys, if you went and asked them, what is the middle word of the Old Testament? They could tell you. What is the quarter word of the Old Testament? How many words are in the Old Testament? They could quote the entire law to you. And he's looking at them saying, have you not read? And they're sitting there thinking, I've read it all. I know it all. That's like asking Paula Dean if she knows what butter tastes like. (laughs) That's not a good one. (laughs) I had other ones. That's just the best one I could come up with. 
<laughs> and, he, and he points them to Scripture. Look what he says. Have you not read what David did? And he points them to 1 Samuel 21. He says, David got hungry. Him and his men, they were on the, on the run being chased. And he said, David, when he got hungry, do you know what he did? And all those that were with him in verse 4, how they entered into the house of God and they ate a whole loaf, 12 loaves of bread, the showbread, which only the priests were allowed to eat. But David ate it, which was not lawful to him to eat. Neither were them which were with him, but only for the priests. Did you not read about that? They ate. You're, you're jumping on us for eating some corn? And they, David, the guy you love, who you set on a pedestal, who you think is the greatest king of all time, he ate a whole loaf of bread? Now, have you not read? I like that. First of all, he's saying, Scriptures are authority and not man's words. Where the Bible speaks, God speaks. And second, he's saying, Scripture is not a burden to us. Scripture is a blessing to us. Our greatest burden in our Christian life is not going to be what Scripture tells us to do. It's going to be what man expects us to do. That's where my greatest burden in life comes from. Is that I, Not that I'm not meeting the expectations of God in his word, because that is a blessing to me. That, that is, that, that to all of us, it ought to be a blessing. That, that God's word and what he expects of us, and, and Jesus said there that it's not hard, it's easy. It's not, it's not a heavy thing, it's a light thing. If you follow me, it's going to be easy and light. It's not going to be burdensome to you. Our greatest burden is when we try to meet the expectations and follow the rules of everybody else. That's where we get burdened. That's where we get heavy laden is when we start trying to do and, and to do and to please everybody and their own rules. Everybody has an idea of what they want to do and how it ought to be done. And God's word says, I am the ultimate authority. Don't follow man's authority, man's words. Follow my words. His correction is go to the scriptures. I don't have to meet the standard. You don't have to meet the standard of everybody else on how to be a parent. Meet God's standard. You don't have to meet everybody else's standard on how to be a good spouse. Meet God's standard. I like that. Everybody writes these books on how Josh needs to be a better husband. And all the Bible tells me to do is to love my wife as Christ has loved the church. That's not a burden to me. To love my wife. Now, it might be a burden to me if the world expects me to be romantic <laughs> and to be like the movies, you know, and to have flowers and candy readily available at least three times a week, you know, all these things and, and candles and you know, all this. That, that might be a burden on me if that's the expectation. But if my expectation from God is just love your wife, that's the greatest blessing in the world. I'll go there, but I'm not going to stay there long. I'll take little exits. We'll take this exit and get right back on. I don't have to meet everybody's expectation on what they expect out of a pastor. The only expectations I need to meet as a pastor is what God puts on me. And when I try to meet everybody's expectations of a pastor, it'll be the greatest burden in the world on me. But when all I have to do is be an under-shepherd of God's people, and to teach them and to love them. That's the greatest blessing in the world. I'll give you another one. Not only does he say, go to the scriptures. But he says, look at service. Look what he says. He gives you another example. Verse 5. Oh, or, or have you not read in the law 
How that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? The priests in the Sabbath on the Sabbath day work like dogs. Everybody else is resting and they go to the Sabbath day and they watch the priests up there and they're, they're picking up animals and they're slaughtering animals and they're laying on the altar and they start a fire and burn the sacrifice and then they clean all that up. I mean, this is, these priests are working harder than anybody else in the world and they're doing it on the Sabbath and you look and say, well, look at them. They're working. They're on the Sabbath. You don't have a problem with that. You sit and watch them and love it. You know what he's showing us there? Serving isn't a burden. It's not a burden to serve. And we forget this. I forget this. Serving God should never be a have to. Serving God, I don't even think, should be a want to. I think it should be a get to. I don't just want to serve God. I have the privilege. I get to serve God. And that's where it becomes, get this, that's when religion, that's when our Christianity becomes a burden, is when we start thinking it's a have to serve instead of a want to get to serve. When we start looking at, oh, at, our, at our service as, a, as, as I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of that. I, I, that's too hard on me. And the service becomes a burden instead of a blessing. Let me, let me this, is, this is a tough sermon. If, if it's a thinking of ways to get out of it, it's a burden to you. If it's a thinking of ways to do it, it's a blessing to you. I'm going to give you a list here. This is one. <laughs> I've got my bags packed for this one. <laughs> Nursery work isn't a burden. It's a blessing. You say, it's not a blessing to me. Have you ever smelt those diapers? <laughs> It is a blessing to the parent who gets to come to church and trust their kids to be taken care of so they can go out and sit in the pews and listen to a sermon. It is the greatest blessing in the world to those parents. Praise God for nursery workers that are willing and saying, yes, I get to take care of these kids so that a parent who may not even be saved gets to hear the gospel and be saved. Sign me up for the nursery. That's a great blessing to serve people who may come into church. And that's not just nursery workers. That's all of our teachers that are downstairs. That's the greatest blessing in the world. Praise God, I get to do it. I'll give you another one. Meals of Love, that's a great blessing. There are people that, that come to Meals of Love, and you know what? They, they're coming, and they're, they're hungry, and they don't have food to eat. And some people haven't eaten in a day or two, and they come into Meals of Love, and we sit there with smiles on our faces and feed them a meal and give them the gospel. It's one of the greatest blessings in the world. It ought to be I want to and not a shoe. It comes around again this month. Clothes closet ought to be a blessing. Deacon, being a deacon ought to be one of the greatest blessings in the world. God has called me to serve his church in this capacity and to meet needs and to, to, to do all the, the great service opportunities that we have. What a blessing! Sometimes I forget that preaching and pastoring is a blessing. That I get to minister, that God lets me preach, that I get to stand up here and speak on his behalf and to teach his word. Oh, what a blessing! When we begin to look at service as a burden, something we have to do, our Christianity has become a burden. And he says in verse 7, you're missing the whole heart of the thing. But if you'd known what this meaneth, I will have mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He says this isn't a ritual, this isn't a rules. This is about showing compassion on people. 
And when you come into church and you serve and you don't even think about the people you're serving, it's become a have to instead of a want to. And then he gives us one more. This is still his correction. He, correct, he corrects on, on, this, on the scriptures. He corrects on service. And now he corrects them on himself. Look, it says in verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. That's a very significant statement of his deity. I love this stuff. I, I, this is what I open up scripture looking for. When I open up the scriptures, I'm looking for things that Jesus said that shows he's, he's God. I love that sort of thing. You guys may not like that. You, you may look for other things in sermons and in scripture. But when I open up the scriptures and I'm reading these 14 verses, verse 8 pops out to me because it's an outright claim that Jesus is God. And this is what he's saying. I am Lord even over your Sabbath day. I have control over. I have sovereignty over. I have authority over. I'm the one who started this and established this. I'm the one who, you can't argue with me about the Sabbath because I'm Lord over the Sabbath. And this is a great statement. And they'll use that against him to kill him later on. Because if that's not true, then it's blasphemy. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And, and, and that's not the only statement he says there. This one here tucked away in verse 6. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Two of their most prestigious, sacred symbols in the Jewish faith was the temple and the Sabbath. And Jesus in these two verses establishes himself as greater than the temple and Lord over their Sabbath. I'm greater than all your rules and all your religious activity. You say, what is he saying there? He's saying he has to say so. He's, I, I do that at my house when my kids get out of control. I love bringing that up. I, I, I don't do it all the time. When my kids are acting up and they're arguing and I've got to settle an argument, I'm the king of this house. <laughs> I'm the lord of the manor. I get to decide who's right and who's wrong. I'm the one who has to say so. And that's what he's saying here. You guys think it's this and you guys think it's that. You got my disciples that's saying I can eat corn. And you got the Pharisees over here saying you can't eat corn. That's breaking the Sabbath. And you got your rules and, and you, you got what you're doing. And he stands up and he says, I am Lord over it all. I have the final say in what goes on on the Sabbath day. I like that. He, it's, it's curious. It's Lord. I have supreme authority. I'm right. Don't argue with me. He's saying I created it. I can interpret it, and I will abolish it. I will personally replace the Sabbath one day. We don't have a Sabbath today. We may have a Christian Lord's Day, but we don't have a Sabbath. You say, why don't we have a Sabbath? I mean, we usually do. I, I, on Saturday, we all do whatever we want to do. That's the Sabbath. We have now, and it has been established, that, that Sunday is not the Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. And it's been established throughout Scripture that Jesus was risen on the Lord's Day. He was ascended. The Spirit fell at Pentecost on the Lord's Day. Over and over and over they met on the Lord's Day. Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day when the church meets to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is who we fall back into and relax. And say, he's done it all. I don't have to do it anymore. He is our Sabbath day. And then it's one more thing here. Not just that he has say so, but he is the point of all that we do. We can't miss this point. Don't miss it. The main reason that religion or Christianity becomes a burden instead of a blessing 
is that we miss the centerpiece of it all, Jesus Christ himself. That's why any religion, any ritual, any relationship becomes a burden is when we miss the whole point. And Jesus is saying here, and I love this, I'm greater than your temple. You're going to that temple and this magnificent structure with all these rooms and all these different symbols that are in it. And here I am, one that is greater than everything in it. You're following your rituals and your rules and your religion. And you're doing everything by the book. But you're missing the whole point, which is Jesus Christ himself. I'm greater than your temple. I'm even greater than your day. This whole day was set aside not to follow a bunch of rules, but to worship a great Savior. And you've gone into this temple, and you've taken this day, and you've done everything that you think is right, but you've missed the whole point. And that's, that's the problem in Christianity today. is we go into these massive buildings, and we follow all these rules, we come in and it's 11 o'clock and Josh stands up and he opens up the Bible and he reads a scripture and we sing praise the Lord and then we take up an offering and we watch a video song and we just, just this routine and this ritual and this religion that we do week after week. But if you come in here and you do all those things and you follow all those rules and you miss Jesus, you have a burden and not a blessing. You're just walking in here to go through the routine instead of coming in here and saying, I need Jesus today. If you come to church and you miss the whole point, which is Jesus, it will become a burden on you. But if you come to church and your whole point is Jesus, then church becomes the greatest blessing in the world. Because you've come to hear about the one you love more than anything else in the world. That's the, pro that's, that's the thing that I have to deal with with my kids. I bring them to church every time the doors are open. And I don't, I, I, that, right now they have to. Get with, hear me. Right now my kids have to come to church. It's not a, do you want to? I don't care if they want to or not. They're putting their clothes on. They're brushing their teeth. They're walking in these doors. And they're coming here for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And they're coming for meals of love and clothes closet and everything else in between. They have to do it. And until they're out of my house, guess where they're going to be when the church doors are open? They're going to be here. That's my rules. I'm the Lord of the house. Yeah, don't, don't argue with me, guys. I mean, they're going to get big and they're going to get strong. My boys are. But they'll never be able to whip dad. And I'll still be dragging them to church. And I'm glad my parents dragged me to church. But get this. Get this. This is good. If you'll, you might want to listen and write this down. When they get out of my house, and it's no longer a have to, I have to teach them and train them that when they get out, it's a want to. And it'll only be a want to for them. Not if they're following a set of rules and rituals and routine. But if I have put it in them over the years. A deep, deep love for the Savior. If I haven't put in, in them a deep, deep love for the Savior. Then as soon as they get out of my house. They're going to run wild and do whatever they want. Because they don't want to be in church and they don't want the Savior. 
so as a church, what we do and what I try to do as a pastor is every week show you the greatness of Jesus Christ. I don't want to give you rules. I don't want to lay things on your back that you can't carry. I want to show you the Lord Jesus Christ and how great he is so that you, along with my kids, will develop a deep, deep love for him and that singing will be a want to and giving will be a want to and, and, and praying will be a want to and reading will be a want to and coming to church will be a want to because you love Jesus so much. You're not missing the point. The whole point of what we do is to worship the Savior. Don't miss the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't miss the one that is greater than the temple and the edifices that we show up to. He's greater than it all. Don't miss Jesus. And don't go to a church that doesn't give you Jesus. There are churches, and I don't want to be mean about it, but when you come in, it's all rules, rules, rules. Do this, don't do this, over and over and over. And you've got to be careful where you step and what you do. I'm not going to be mean, but I, I, I've been to churches like that. And when I grew up, I wanted to break all those rules. And it wasn't until I have a love for Jesus that everything changed. When you open up your Bibles, it shouldn't be to look for rules. What do I need to follow today? It should be, what can I learn about Jesus today? Help me see Jesus here today. When you pray, it shouldn't be, okay, i got to get this right. <laughs> and i got to pray, sweet hour of prayer. The song says sweet hour of prayer. So I better do an hour of prayer. I don't know if you guys have ever tried an hour of prayer. That's usually when my nap comes. You say, Josh, you fall asleep when you're praying? If I try to go an hour, I do. If I get an hour of peace and quiet, I'm out like that. <laughs> But my prayer isn't, and, I, and I'm not saying if you pray for an hour, praise God. But it better not be routine, ritual, and religion. Because if it does, prayer will ultimately become a burden to you. If you're just reading your Bible to get through it, and to get it done, checklist, done it today, it'll become a burden to you. If you come to church just because you're afraid the pastor will jump onto you if you don't show up. And he will! <laughs> It's become a burden to you. But when you pray, and it's about I get to speak to Jesus today. I get to tell him all my troubles. Tell him all about it. And he will hear my faintest cries. And he will answer by and by. And you'll find a little prayer will turn. And <laughs> so I had a little talk with Jesus, made it right. That's what prayer is. The center of it all is Jesus. Don't miss him. They had gone through every bit of these religion and routines and rituals, and they'd missed who it was all about in the first place. He's standing right there in front of them. If we love the Savior, then nothing we do for him is a burden. And everything we do for him is a blessing. Are you with me? I love my wife more than anything in this world. And nothing I do for her is a burden. Can you imagine if, I, if, if that's what it was? Get up in the morning and, and I'm like, okay, I've got to go give her a kiss now. If I don't give her a kiss, she's going to get mad. And then I need to do this and I need to do that and then I need to do this. My relationship with her would become a burden to me. 
I'd be checking off lists of things that I have to do. She may want me to check off a list. I'd, I, but I check, check, check. But if I wake up and in the morning and the first thing I do is pray for her because I love her. The next thing I do is I go and pray over her, which may make her mad because she's still asleep at 5 o'clock in the morning, but I'm hovering over her. You know? <laughs> God bless her today. God take care of her today. And then I kiss her. And then I check on her first thing. As I'm here and I know she's waking up, getting the kids ready. How are you doing? She knows this is true. The one you love, nothing you do is a burden. And that's what it should be with Jesus. Rest in him. And lastly, and I have no idea what time it is, but my power aid's in front of my clock. So we're just, we're just rolling with it. The third thing, I've got the confrontation on the Sabbath. I've got the correction on the Sabbath. I want to show you his compassion on the Sabbath. Because you'll see here, his compassion, his care, and the Pharisees are nothing but cold-hearted. I hope that when you walk into the church that your heart is warm with compassion and not cold-hearted like theirs was. Look what it says. And when he was departed thence, he went into the synagogue. I told you he was going to the synagogue. So he, he got done putting them in their place, and he went to the synagogue. And behold, there was a man there with a, with a hand that was withered, it had been injured, and the other gospels say it was his right hand, and it was probably something he had injured, and it didn't work anymore, so it's kind of withered up. It's almost arthritic, that it's, it's kind of just, just uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't even straighten out. And it's his right hand, meaning that he couldn't do a job. He couldn't work at all. That's his strong hand. So his hand's withered, and Jesus notices this man. He sees this man, and, and he cares for this man, and he has compassion for this man, and his heart goes out to this man. Jesus has a warm heart towards the people in the place. And then these Pharisees look at their heart. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to you heal, for you to heal on the Sabbath day? And they wasn't doing it because they cared. They wasn't doing it for out of compassion. They did it, look it says there, so they might accuse him. They did it so they might catch him. So they're out to get him again. The Pharisees didn't care about that man with a withered hand. They only cared about their rules and Jesus getting caught. They need a different hobby besides trying to catch Jesus in sin. It's not going to happen. So they're only caring about the rules. Rules are greater than people. They're so cold and they're so heartless. When your heart becomes cold towards people, your Christianity will become a burden instead of a blessing. And Jesus brings the man up, Luke says, out in the open, no hiding, no sneaking. Let everybody see him and hear what's going on. And he says, verse 11, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep and if it fall into the pit on the Sabbath day, will you not go get it and lift it out? Jesus, knowing all things because he's God in the flesh, knew that every single Pharisee that's asking him that had at one point in their life lost a sheep on, on the Sabbath day and they went and got it. It's almost like us losing a dog. If you lost a dog on the Sabbath day, you're going to go find that dog. You're just going to say, I can't go get it. Get it tomorrow. So he's asking them that. Would you not go get your sheep? And they're all sitting there saying, well, yeah. And in verse 12, he says, well, how much, better, how much then is a man better than a sheep? So, yeah, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath days. They didn't care, but they cared more about the sheep than they did the man. Their heart was cold 
They had no compassion. And Jesus says, <laughs> let me check the time, it's bugging me. Okay, I'm good. I got to know what time it is. I, and Jesus says, in verse 13, that he saith to the man, stretch forth your hand. I like this. What's the one thing the man can't do? He could ask him to jump on one foot, and he could do it. He could ask him to, to run in circles. He could do it. There's all kinds of things that Jesus could have said. You do this, and he'd be like, okay, I can do that. But he looks at him, and he asks him to do the one thing he can't do. It's like Jesus looking at me and saying, fly. I can't. The only way he could do that is if Jesus enables him to do that. So Jesus asks him to do only what he can enable him to do. In order for me to fly, Jesus is going to have to give me power to fly. In order for him to stretch forth his hand, Jesus is going to have to empower him to stretch forth his hand. So Jesus, and that's what he does. He, he, he says, stretch forth your hand. And he stretches it out. And it says, look at this. Instantly, immediately, completely, wholly, he was healed. Wow. A miracle on the Sabbath day. So how does he respond? Look at their response. Well, surely it's a blessing to that man with the, the hand, the withered hand. That was probably the best Sabbath day he'd ever had. He came in with a burden. You see that? His hand was withered. He came in weak and heavy laden. He came in burdened <laughs> and he left blessed and it actually says there in verse 13 then saith he to the man stretch forth thine hand and he stretched it forth and he was restored he was rested the word rest is in the word he came a man who couldn't work for himself and Jesus gives him rest Well, he's glad he didn't miss that Sabbath day. Can you imagine? <laughs> I did it in my notes. I'm already getting myself in trouble. Let's just take it to the next level. Could you imagine if the man with a withered hand had got up that Sabbath day morning and said, I'm not feeling it today. Or woke up that morning and said, this is a football game on at noon. Probably not a football game. He's not on. They're saying, there's, there's, there's going to be some games going on in the marketplace at noon. I, I can't get out of there in time. That, 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 that priest is long-winded. I need a, sun, a Saturday off anyway. See how I'm comparing them? And he just decided, today, I'll watch on Facebook Live. <laughs> and he missed the greatest blessing he could have ever received. If we... Ooh, if we saw it as a blessing, we wouldn't miss it for the world. If we see it as a burden, we'll miss it for the smallest little things. Hmm. That guy didn't know what he was missing. And then he shows up and God gives him the greatest blessing in the world. He walks out with a hand restored just like the other one. And he can go and work now. Because that's what he does. We who can't work, he restores us to where we can work. We can't work to be saved. This is, I know I'm going too far with it, but I just look and I have more time. 
We can't work to be saved. There's nothing we can do. The only work that can save us is the work of Christ Himself upon the cross. So I'm not working to be saved. But when He rests me and restores me, then I am enabled to go and do the work that He asks me to do. That's what James says. You show me your faith, I'll show you my works. I'm able now. So you see that, what a blessing to this man. But it was a burden to the Pharisees. Oh man, there's so much in this. Look what he says in verse 14. Then the Pharisees went and they held a council against him. How they might destroy him. They held a council against him. You know what, I, in my mind, the first thing that comes to my mind when I see council, they went and got a committee together. I was going to get a group together and we're going to, Get rid of Jesus. You see that? They tried to destroy him. Luke 6 says they were filled with rage. And, they try, and, and Mark 3 says they set out to destroy him. You know what they should have done? They, they, they should have said, all right, we, we admit Jesus is God. We just saw mighty works done right, right in front of us. Like he said in, in Matthew eleven twenty one. 21. He says if these works had been done in, in uh, the worst places in the world, in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. But here this work is done right before their eyes, right before their ears, right in front of them. Jesus proved He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He proved that He is God. He took a hand that was withered and restored it to full strength. I bet that hand was stronger than the other hand. Isaiah just got his cast took off. I'm going to call him out. A cast for six weeks because his wrist was broke. And when they took that cast off, Steph sent me a picture. And one hand was, was kind of muscular. <laughs> and the other one was withered. He hadn't used it. It's getting better. I'm going to take him to the weight room. He's going to get stronger. But when Jesus restored that guy's hand... It wasn't just a little restored. It wasn't like it's something weak now. He needs rehab. This hand right here was stronger than it ever had been before. Because that's how Jesus heals. And it's right there in front of everybody. Look here. Look what he's done. And they get mad about it. And they say, we got to kill him. we got to get rid of him. They should have bowed their faces in the dirt and said, Jesus is right. We're wrong. Please forgive us. That's what they should have done. Instead, a miracle took place in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they get mad. There are people. Let's just keep making people mad, Josh. There are people that could see, that could see salvations in the midst of the church and get mad because it wasn't done the way they wanted it done. Those people view it all as a burden instead of a blessing. wasn't done their way so they got mad and his, this is I think the turning point of the whole gospel of Matthew because from this point on in verse 14 they are set on killing Jesus and even when he goes to trial they will bring up he does miracles on the Sabbath day this is the turning point and this type of person that can't even rejoice over a miracle is deadly and dangerous in the church. This type, you say, why are they dangerous? Because they stand in the way 
of those who would come to Jesus and Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And these are weak and heavy laden. And they, they may even want to come to Jesus. But standing there in the middle is these religious, hypocrite Pharisees with their rule books standing there saying, if you want to come to Jesus, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this. And you're going to have to do this. Jesus and baptism, Jesus and church, Jesus and good doctrine, Jesus and rule keeping, Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and, and Jesus never said anything about and. Just come to me, that's it. There's more people that reject our rules instead of the gospel we preach. There's people that turn down the gospel, not because of the gospel's sake, but because of the rules that we set in front of them. I can't do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. I can't behave. I can't be right. I can't change. I can't, I can't, I can't. When we ought to be shown, Jesus already has. You don't have to. He's kept the rules. He's done all the work. You don't have to do nothing. Just come to Jesus. That's it. Get all that mess out of the way. And you who are weak and heavy laden. And you who are powerful to save. Says come to me. By faith and faith alone. And he will give you rest. He will give you restoration. He will restore you. He will save you. He will forgive you. Get all that burdensome stuff out of the way. And there will be nothing but a blessing. Come to Jesus and he will give you rest. For your souls. Do you see how this passage connects with the math with eleven twenty eight? They're the ones who were laying burdens on people, and Jesus was the one taking them off and saying, Just come to me. Just come to me. It's not hard. It's not heavy. Come to me. And that's what our message has to be. That was the message in Acts with the first church and the early church and, and the apostles as they went out. It wasn't Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. It was just Jesus. Come to Jesus and He'll give you rest. Come to Jesus and He'll save you. Same message I give to you today. Come to Jesus and He'll save you. You don't have to keep my rules. You don't have to keep, get this. My mom and dad ain't here today. You don't have to keep mom and dad's rules. You don't have to keep preacher's rules. You don't have to keep church's rules. You don't have to do none of that. You know what you have to do? Just come to Jesus. That's it. And then when you come to Jesus, and I'm closing, when you come to Jesus, and many of us here today have already come to Jesus, and He's saved us and He's given us rest, and we love Him and we follow Him, and He's the greatest thing in the world. But when you come to Jesus, you better make sure that as you follow Him, that you're following Him. And you're not following a man. And you're not following yourself. Because that's where it becomes a burden. Follow Jesus and it's rest. Take His yoke upon you. Learn of Him. Not a preacher. Not even yourself. Follow Jesus. Because when you start following man preachers, yourself, it becomes a great, great, great burden. It becomes hard. It becomes a have to. But when you follow Jesus, there's rest, there's love, there's peace, there's joy, and there's a blessing. It's a want to.
So back to the question at the beginning. Is your Christian life a have to or a want to? That's for you to decide today. Check your hearts and see where you are. I'll give you one have to and then we'll go. This is a have to, but you have to want to. You have to come to Jesus to be saved. It's the only way. There's no other way. There's nobody else that went to the cross and died on your behalf for your sins. There's nobody else that was buried and risen again on the third day. Nobody else. Nobody else ascended to the Father, seated right now on his right hand. Nobody else. Muhammad's not up there. Buddha's not up there. Joseph Smith ain't up there. Jesus is up there. There's nobody else coming back again one day to make all things right. Only Jesus. And all you have to do is believe in him, come to him, and he will give you rest. You have to do that. You have to do that. But I can't make you do that. Your parents can't make you do that. Your kids can't make you do that. You have to want to do that. You have to believe for yourself. So I urge you today, come to Jesus, and he will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I know there's a lot of teaching in this. There's a lot of great application, too. And I pray that you would take this and you would, again, do with it, God, what you will. Work in the hearts of the people, even in my heart, as I've had to look at myself and say, am I following my rules or others' rules, or am I following Christ? May we all today as Christians be resolved to follow Christ and Christ alone. In his words, Scripture is our final authority. Sola Scriptura. And God, if there's anybody in here that's lost, an unbeliever, let them know they have to come to Christ in order to be saved. And may you, by your Spirit, give them the want to. So God, work in our midst here today. Work a miracle. Take an old, withered, lost soul and restore them. And we will all rejoice. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music plays.